First Corinthians three. Verse number nine, for we are laborers together with God. Isn't that amazing? You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay, and that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for another privilege to preach. Lord, you know all, all men. You know every heart, every need. And I pray that you would help me just to be a vessel, a mouthpiece for you, Lord, that I'd say what you would say if you were here. And Lord, I pray for wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me to be a blessing and a help to each one that's come this way. Do that that only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about the Christian's crowns tonight, if I could. Now, salvation is by grace, through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. Romans eleven six I preached on recently, if by, if by grace, and it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. And so it is either all grace or all works, it's not a combination of the two. Uh, so we believe that salvation is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, that I quoted this morning, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so when I talk about the Christian's crowns tonight, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation cannot be earned. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is free. Salvation is by grace. It is undeserved, unmerited, and we believe that. But I want to speak to you about rewards. Uh, does it matter how you live? Of course, I've been accused of preaching that, that you be, a person can be saved and, and they can live any kind of life they want to live. I do not preach that. I do not believe that. But I do not believe that the way you live has, has to do with where you go to heaven or not. I believe that's by grace. But what you have when you get there, how you live has a great deal to do with it. Amen. As far as rewards our loss of rewards. Now the Bible says here in our text that uh, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And we build upon that foundation gold, silver, precious stones. Now what does the fire do to that? The fire purifies it. Burns out the impurities. But on the other hand, wood, hay, or stubble, the, wood con uh, the fire consumes it. Uh, so he's using that as an indication of, 
of what kind of works that we're producing and the motive, why do I do what I do? Do I do it for the praise of men? Do I do it for what I can get out of it? What is my motive that has a great deal to do with rewards? Now he said, uh, if a man's work abide, uh, then he shall receive a reward. If his work is burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. First Corinthians 5 verse 5 says, To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Nothing can change that. But I don't want to go before it's time to go. There, the work is here. And when I, I want to be able to say when I come to the end of life, I have finished my course, as Paul said there in Timothy. I've done what God left me here to do. I've made my life count for eternity. I've laid up some treasures in heaven. I have not just lived for a house and a car or a bank account or some clothes in the closet or whatever it might be. That's not what has motivated my life. And that ought to be the desire of every Christian here tonight. When we come to the end of the journey, we can look back and say, I made it count for God. I finished the course that God laid out for me. Now the Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, this judgment seat of Christ, only saved people will be at this judgment. There is no general judgment for where everybody will be, will stand before. In fact, there are seven judgments spoken of in the Bible. Now, there's the judgment of the cross, where Christ was judged as our substitute for our sin. And uh, then there is uh, the judgment of self. Uh, uh, there is... Uh, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. There is the judgment of the nations when Christ comes in his revelation. There's the judgment, judgment of Israel and the tribulation. There's the judgment of fallen angels and there is the judgment, the white throne judgment of God. I think I count that was seven. Uh, there are seven judgments spoken of in the Bible. The two primary judgments is the judgment seat of Christ and that is for saved people and only saved people. Everybody there is saved. Some will receive a reward and some will not. But they will be saved according to these verses. Right. Now the white throne judgment is for unsaved people. Everybody the white throne judgment is unsaved. Right. And they're judged according to the works. You say, why have a judgment if they're unsaved? Well, there will be degrees of punishment the lake of fire. Right. Some will suffer greater than others. And we don't have time to go into all that. That's another message, two or three messages there. But we're concentrating tonight on the judgment seat of Christ where I shall give an account to God of, of my service for the Lord, my work for the Lord from the time God saved me until I meet the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. Now there are rewards that I can, I can have bestowed at that judgment seat of Christ. Five primary rewards. There are other rewards. The fellows that go get me a this water, and sometimes I drink it, sometimes I don't. Whether I drink it, don't have that, if I never drink it. Uh, 
They'll get a reward for it. Bible teaches that. If you even give a cup of water uh, to somebody, you'll not lose your reward for that. So there are many rewards to be earned. But there's five that the Bible speaks of, five crowns. The first one is the incorruptible of the victor's crown. And if you will turn a few pages to 1 Corinthians 9, we'll look at this crown. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 24. And he says, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, and not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. And bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now he's referring to the Olympic Games. You see, the Olympic Games have been, have been played for a long, long time. Uh, they originated in Greece, and uh, of course uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, the, uh, you had the four world empires, the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian Empire, what is now present-day Iraq was Babylon, what is now present-day Iran was Media Persia, and those nations will play a major part in end-time events, and how and will, we have not heard the last of Iraq. Uh, and again, that's another message. All these thoughts come to mind, all these messages. But, uh, and then there was the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And when Christ was born in the days of Paul, there was the Roman Empire. But Greece had left their impact upon the world. Right. And they, they had left their language and of their culture upon the world. And Paul is using these Olympic games as a, as a picture of the Christian life. And he says that they run in a race, talking about the track meets, but only one man wins. Yeah. And then he talks about the boxing, the fighting. I don't uh, fight as one that beateth the air, trying to land a blow on the opponent, not this you know, fighting and beating around in the air, never hitting anything. Now, uh, someone said if you aim at nothing, that's what you'll hit, nothing. But when the winner of these games would, would get a crown of laurel leaves, then that's something. That pride of life is strong, isn't it? That recognition, that position, that power that I can be recognized, that I can say that I accomplished something and have the recognition of my peers. That is a motivating factor. I think of these athletes that try that to train and, and uh, keep their body and, and uh, uh, spend all these hours preparing for that, that time when a gold medal is hung around their neck. And they receive that recognition. Now... Paul says that, uh, that we, need to be, we need to be as dedicated as they are. What we're, what we're working for, the crown, the incredible crown, is far more important than an Olympic gold medal and all that that may mean and all the money that might come because of it. But there's something I notice about this. 
Only one got the prize. But, you know, I believe this is a prize that, that every child of God has, has the opportunity to get if, if we have a desire for it. And for this prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 and 5, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, and he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. So there are rules to go by. God's given us a rule book right here. And uh, we need to live by the rules. I heard about uh, years ago, I can't remember where it was at, but they were having this, uh, this track meet and and, uh, you know, it amazes me in, in, in the, these marathons, the Boston Marathon and some of these others, that they may run 20, 20 30 miles without stopping. Yeah. Uh, I can't comprehend that. And, and yet uh, they condition themselves and they, they run, but, but this happened, you may have heard about it several years ago, that someone came in near the end of the race and won it. But they found out that they hadn't run the whole race and they took it away from them. And so the Bible said you have to strive lawfully. You have to live with the rules. If you want a reward, if you want this reward, you've got to follow the rule book. It isn't enough just to run in the race. But you've got to follow the book. That's why we need to know what the Bible says and, and not only know what it says, but when we hear the Bible preached, then do it. Practice the Bible. Live by the rules. Because it isn't enough, again, just to run the race. We run the race, and person, you stand before the Lord, and, and uh, oh, well, I went to Maranatha Baptist Church, and, you know, I sung in the choir, or what, uh, whatever I did. You know, Lord, I think I ought to get this reward. He said, oh, but you didn't live by the rules. <laughs> you know, you got to strive lawfully. Yes, you did it, but you didn't live up to the rules. And we need to have a desire and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to live by that Bible. If I find in that Bible something that, that, uh, that deals with some aspect of my life, by the help of God, I'm going to correct that. And I'm going to live with this book. Now that's what we ought to do. Now, Paul writes to Galatians and says, in Galatians 5, 7, you did, did run well. Who doth hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You know, sometimes uh, folks, I think of these athletes and, and uh, uh, you know, there's a, they, uh, they, they make all this money and I don't think there's anybody in the world worth all these millions they're paying them. But anyway, they're able to, to bring all these thousands of uh, spectators in and they're able to pay those millions of dollars and, and they may be a great athlete for a few years and then that's it. I understand that Joe Montana retired. Isn't that right? I don't think he plays anymore. Uh, that's not my team, but uh, if it's yours, that's fine. Uh, but he was a great quarterback and and uh, played for the 49ers and, and uh, you know, accomplished a great deal. But, but uh, his, his days are over. I mean, and I guess 
We probably don't need to take an offering up for him tonight. I'd say he's probably all right. But, uh, uh, you know, Paul says you did run well, and you know, there's some Christians, they start off in the race, and they run well or well, and then they fizzle out. And, uh, you know, I've seen that. I know we, we, we have take the kids to the wilds every year from the Christian schools and, and compete there, and you can tell those fellows that's been running. I mean, they, you know, that 100-yard dash, you know, that's, that's everybody wants to enter that because you don't have to practice a whole lot for that. But now, going around that track, all the way around, and, or maybe a couple of times, or that mile... You know, uh, some of them get about halfway around, how <laughs> their tongues are dragging the ground uh, almost, and, and uh, you know, they, they've run well for a while. They start off just a flying, but they fizzle out after a while. Well, I'll tell you, if you want this crown, you're going to have to get in the race and stay in it. Amen. This is a race to the finish line. Right. This, is, this is not a race where you start and quit. Is it the Boston Marathon? And I love that story. Uh, I think that's the one. I can't remember how many miles it is, but it is unique in the fact that, uh, uh, that uh, right near the end of the race, there is a long hill. And those athletes have run all those miles and they come to that hill. But they push themselves and they, they hit that hill and their bodies are worn out and aching, but they keep going across that hill because they know that just on the other side of that hill is the finish line. And you may, be, you may have a hill facing you tonight. And I think we all have a hill facing us in these final days, but thank God we're just about to the finish line. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lay down the battle in, in the battle now. Keep on going. Don't quit the race. We're too near home to turn back now. And the Bible says that we're not running in vain in 1 Corinthians uh, 9 and uh, verse 26 here. The incorruptible crown, a wonderful crown. I've got to hurry. I've got seven, I think, here. Five. No, five. You know, I know you was worried there. Five. <laughs> <laughs> number two, there's the crown of life, the crown, the incorruptible crown, then there's the crown of life. And that's found in Revelation 2.10, Be thy faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This is the martyr's crown. This is for those that have paid the ultimate price, those that died for the faith, those that were crucified, uh, you know, for the cause of Christ. I believe I read... I believe I read somewhere recently that when Titus marched in uh, to Jerusalem and took the city in 70 A.D., that he crucified 500 Jews a day. 500. And maybe it was more. If I remember right, it's 500. But he says, Be thy faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. This is the martyr's crown. But it is not only for those that die, according to James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord had promised to them that love him. Not only for those that die for Christ, but those that endure temptation. Those that stay stay with the battle. And I find in all these things faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. 
You know, I may not can preach like someone else, but I can be faithful as they, just as faithful as they are, they are. And I've tried to be over 30 years now. I was thinking the other day, and it don't seem like it's been that long. But I think of all these years that's gone, gone by. And, and, uh, uh, but I just want to be faithful. You know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awful after 30, 30, some, 30, over 30 years now uh, to, to just throw in the towel and quit? I mean, the finish line's just on the other side of the hill. <laughs> you know, we're, uh, we're about home. And so we need to endure temptation. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, when I think of this, I, I think of Polycarp. If you get that Fox's Book of Martyrs and read it, Polycarp uh, paid the ultimate price, died for Christ. And they tried to get him to deny Christ. says, if you'll deny him, we'll let you go. He said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he's never one time wronged me. I will not deny him now. And so he died died in faith and died, paid the ultimate price. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Because he had his eye on the eternal reward that he could get. And so there is the incorruptible crown. There is the crown of life. And then number three, there is the crown of glory. In 1 Peter chapter number 5. If you'll turn there, we'll look at it together. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 and uh, verse 1 through 4. That's page 1315 if you have a Schofield Bible, King James Version. 1 Peter 5. I remember some years ago uh, someone asked me, said, what kind of Bible is that Schofield Bible? said, I use the King James Version. I said, well... Schofield Bible is the King James Version. The uh, reason I like the Schofield Bible because I can say turn to page 1315 and your Bible's what's on my, this page on your page. And that's the main reason I like it. But in 1 Peter 5 verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now he's talking about the preachers. You feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Amen. Man, I'd like to have that crown. And he didn't say there, you've got to pastor a church of a thousand. <laughs> I've never pastored a church of a thousand. I've pastored a church of 500, half a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so where I get half a crown or not, if it depends on that. <laughs> but I'm glad it doesn't depend on that. Right. And, you know, I think, I think there are going to be a lot of surprises at the judgment seat of Christ. I think going to be, I think there are going to be people back, you know, in the hills that uh, no one ever heard of. May get, a, may get a bigger reward and some of these that's got all the attention in this life. And so 
he says here that the chief shepherd, we're the under shepherd, and I'm to follow the chief shepherd. He's the head shepherd. I'm just a little under shepherd. You know, I'm a hired hand, if you please. And I work for the chief shepherd. And that's an awesome thought of having to give an account to God. You know, sometimes, sometimes people don't understand and sometimes you have to make decisions that people don't agree with or don't understand. But I have an ultimate responsibility to please God first. I have to do what I believe God wants me to do. And you hope, you hope people are pleased with it, but if they're not, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I, I have to give an account to the Lord. And uh, the, the chief shepherd, he says, uh, that uh, we'll receive a crown of glory. I think those that preach and teach the Word of God, uh, they can get this, this crown uh, by giving out the Word of God. Number four. You was worried a while ago. I spent so much time there at that first point. You said, man, he'll never get through. <laughs> uh, but uh, the number four, I want to spend a little more time on this one, and that is the crown of rejoicing. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. I have this down here, but uh, you may want to turn to it and mark it there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, verse 19 and 20. And I want this crown. In fact, I want them all. And uh, you say you're selfish. Well, I think we ought, to, we ought to be selfish when it comes to pleasing the Lord. Uh, we ought to be selfish for self. And we'll see at the end of this, this message why we ought to want these crowns. And the motive, 1 Thessalonians 2, and that's page 1268. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy, our crown of rejoicing? There it is. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Now, Who's going, to be, who's going to be doing most of the rejoicing in heaven? Those that win souls. You know what's going to make heaven so wonderful? It's how people there you won to Christ. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to want to win your family to Christ, you know, to have your family there. Uh, you know, when uh, Joseph was in Egypt there and his brothers came down and... and uh, uh, of course, you know that wonderful story there and how that, uh, uh, you know, Benjamin was finally, they had to bring Benjamin down and, and uh, the old, the, I believe the older brother there said, how shall I go up to my father's house without the boy, without the lad? Wouldn't it be sad to go to heaven without your children? I can't imagine that. Uh, Sandy and Billy, I, I can't imagine going to heaven them not being there. My heart would be broken. I can't imagine that. And yet that's going to happen to some people. And uh, uh, well, uh, well, don't make, an, and, and I realize you, you do all you can. That's all you can do is, is pray for them. And you know, that's why God says get saved when you're young. Get saved when you're young and have, bring your family up in church so they can hear the word of God and come to know Jesus and be saved and 
You know, there's so many reasons about, you know, not only should a person be saved when they're young because the chances of them being saved later on are lessened if they're not. But then you think about children. And I know people that, I know people that were saved in, up, in, up in years and their family's grown and their family doesn't know God and they're saved. They're going to heaven, but they can't reach their family. Their family's lost. And we ought to try to reach our family for God. And we ought to try to reach our friends for the Lord. Amen. And, and neighbors and people that need Jesus. I want this crown. If I don't get any others, this is the one I want, I think, more than any. This crown of rejoicing. Paul says, you are a glory. He said, what's going to be my crown of rejoicing in heaven? He said, to see you there. Yeah. That's going to be it to see you in heaven. I've got a message I preach on will there be tears in heaven. There's a song that was written, no tears, no tears up there. And that, that song will eventually be fulfilled. But the Bible says God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You can't wipe something away, it isn't there. How's God going to wipe tears away if there's no tears to be wiped away? Will there be tears in heaven? Yes. For a while. There will be tears. Read Revelation 21. That's when we enter the new Jerusalem at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ upon this earth. That's when the tears are wiped away. There may be a whole lot of tears for then. And so there is the crown of rejoicing for those that we've led to Christ. Philippians 4.1, he said, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and crown. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you cry in here? Shed your tears here, where it'll do some good. I can remember revival meetings when I was growing up. I mean, there's a whole lot of tears. And uh, people will be on the altar weeping and praying for their lost children, their lost brothers and sisters, or their lost loved ones. Be praying for them and crying for them. I remember my hardened heart and, and uh, getting backstood on the Lord. And in those days, people would. Uh, you know, when the invitation is given, they'd come back and talk to you, try to get you to come to the altar. And uh, I remember my grandmother come back and talk to me, you know, and I thought, I'm not going. <laughs> I voice she'd stand there and those big tears start rolling. <laughs> Break my heart. They that sow in tears are reaping joy, the Bible says. And tears have a great effect on people. And we need to care, you know. I think as Bob Jones says, the average church needs to hear preaching on hell for about three months, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, so God's people be awakened again to the awfulness of hell. What's going to break our heart? I remember having a teacher, and he, he said, I used to preach on hell. And he said, I preached on hell in such a way that it seemed I was glad people was going. And uh, 
He said, now when I preach on hell, I preach on hell with a broken heart. He says, God's not glad people are going to hell. And we oughtn't to be happy about it. Hell is awful. The Bible says in Acts 5, 42, and daily in the temple and every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. 5.14, and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both in men and women. And Acts 8.4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. We're not doing that. I think of all the, all the opportunity we have, all the money we have, all the, uh, the means of communication that we have today, we're not getting the job done. And people are dying lost without God. The crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown. You ought to want that crown. Y'all will say, by the grace of God, whatever time I've got left on this earth, I'm going to get that crown, whatever it takes. I'm going to get somebody saved. Now, we can't save anybody, I know that, but we can point them to Christ. Then number five, and this is the final one, and this is in 2 Timothy 4, if you'd like to just turn a few pages over, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll talk about this crown, page 1281, and uh, this is the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now this is for those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ. The crown of righteousness. Brother Thomason was talking in Sunday school this morning. Back in the 70s and 80s, you heard a lot of preaching on the coming of the Lord. And I honestly, you, if you'd asked me back then, do you, believe that, do you believe that we'll be here in 1997? I would have told you I don't think so. I believe we'll be with the Lord. Yeah. But here we are. And uh, do we really think that much about the coming of the Lord? I'd say the average church member, I'm talking about people in the world, I'm talking about the average church member probably gets up in the morning and goes to work and works, works their day at work and comes back home and goes to bed and probably never one time ever gives the first thought that Jesus Christ could come. I'm talking about the average church member, not unsafe people. The average church member probably never gives the first thought that today Jesus could come back. And he could. Now, those that love his appearing. He said, there is a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Do you get this when you die and go to heaven? No. You hear people preach about, uh, you know, they're going to, enter the New Jerusalem and they're going to uh, uh, get, the, get the crowns and they've gone to get their reward. No, not yet. Yes, a person goes to paradise and uh, they, they're with the Lord and they have all that, but, you know, but the rewards haven't been passed. Paul said, the Lord should give me at that day. Now, why did he say that? Because really, you can't get your reward until then. Because the reward won't be added up till then. I remember hearing Mike Hodge. He used to stand and he'd tell how many, how many 
how many people have been saved under his preaching that were now preachers themselves and pastoring? And it was quite a number. And he used to say, he, say, he used to say, you know, one of these days I'll be dead and gone. But he says, my reward will keep going on as long as they preach. And I was saved under his preaching. And then I think of those that I've been able to win to Christ and they're preaching. And he'll get, he'll get the, some of that. He'll get, he'll get a record. That'll go to his account. And so the reward can't be given out till then because it doesn't end till then. It keeps going on. You know, that's the wonderful thing about, about this investment. You know, people invest their money and, and try, to, try to get good return on it. Nothing wrong with that. And, uh, but the greatest investment of all is, is investment in the work of the Lord. An eternal investment. The Bible says you get a hundredfold. Brother Griffin tell you that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> a hundredfold. You know, if I had one dollar and I gained one other dollar, that would be what? Wouldn't that be a hundred percent interest? But if I have one dollar and I gain a hundred dollars from one dollar, how much interest is that? That's a pretty good investment. There and anywhere you can get in this world. The crown of righteousness. Those that love his appearing. Titus talks about it in Titus 2, uh, verse uh, 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3, verse 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, why do we need these crowns? Turn to Revelation. I'll look, let you look at this and we'll be through. Revelation 4, 5, and then a verse in chapter 19. Revelation 4, last book in the Bible, and verse 9. And when those beasts, these are angelic cherubims, give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, here's the church, here's the believers, Fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What do we do with the crowns? <laughs> we cast them at his feet, don't we? Because Jesus says, Without me you can do nothing. In Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10, they sung a new song, Thou art worthy, thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And then in Revelation 19, Revelation 19 and verse number 12, listen to what he says here. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. What do we do with the crowns? <laughs> we lay them at his feet. We cast them at his feet. And when he comes, the Bible said on his head were many crowns. Uh, and... Uh, I'm trying to think of that song. Bill Staley's famous for All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall 
bring forth the royal diadem and crown him the Lord of all. Now that ought to be our desire that we could lay something at his feet not as payment for our salvation but as a token of our appreciation and say thank you Lord for having mercy on me. Let's bow our heads please.